Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the star line by an award-winning children's book author. 13 years ago, a birthday party changed her life. Her latest book, Am I a Unicorn?, is available now. We welcome author Stephanie Sorkin. Hi, how are you? Absolutely great. Let's go beyond the mic. 13 years ago, a birthday cake gave your daughter a severe allergic reaction. Yes, that's exactly what happened. So we um, we were having a family party. There were some friends there. Elmo was there. And my daughter had had the flu shot the day before. So she basically, she took a, a bite of cake. She was covered in hives from head to toe. Her eyelids had hives. The palms of her hands had hives. And when I called the doctor, the doctor seemed to think, oh, well, yesterday was the flu shot, so this is common, you could have a reaction like this. So we really thought nothing of it, and I have two older kids, so here I was kind of thinking I was an expert. I wasn't really a new mother or anything like that. I had no idea what it was. We wound up going to the doctor that Monday, and they said, you know what, why don't we test for food allergies? So when they tested, it came back that eggs were positive, and the egg allergy, the numbers were very high. And eggs rarely travel alone. So at that point, it was like, oh, great. So we're not only allergic to eggs. And then they did some further testing. And as the years went on, we went to medical experts all over. And we found out that she was allergic to eggs, peanuts, tree nuts, sesame, canola oil, which is a very, very rare allergy, flaxseed and mustard. So she was in, she had some allergies that were considered top eight, which top eight means that 90% of allergic reactions are going to, going to come from those allergens. But then allergens like sesame is probably considered top nine. Mustard would maybe be in the top 14. It's more common than people would think. But some of our other allergies like canola oil and flaxseed were, would fall in that other 10% of reactions where they're considered kind of rare. So yes, a piece of cake changed our life. Well, that makes sense because your Pinterest page is filled with fashion encouragement and a lot of odd <laughs> egg photography. That's funny. Since she was three, you nightly told her the story of Nutley, the nut-free squirrel. And the story became not just a family one, but a book where 100% of the proceeds go to FAIR, dedicated to food, allergy research, and education. Why was that important for you? When I first wrote the story, again, just like you just mentioned, it was just as a fun story for my daughter so that she wouldn't feel alone. And she kept saying, tell it again, tell it again. I soon realized it had a beginning, a middle and an end. So I was just kind of thinking, this sounds like a real story, like a children's book. So when I read it to family and friends, some of them encouraged me, some didn't. Some said, how are you going to write a book? Where would you start? Look at You know, there are millions of children's books out there. Some really weren't supportive, but again, some were. But the point is that I was so excited once I realized that it had, it was a story that I said to myself that this could help other children really see that when you're allergic, you could build this community and you shouldn't be ashamed. In the story, Nutley, I don't talk so much about treatments because it's really meant for little, little children just to feel, not to be scared, but rather to feel included and to feel that people are going to surround you with love and support rather than being that child alone at the table, which we hear about too often. So the charity component came later when I did decide to publish it. At first I said, oh, I'll give a portion of the proceeds to food allergy research, just thinking as a mom on a mission, you know, I'll just start 
doing something that would make me, I think it was therapeutic at the time to feel like I was doing something positive and doing something to make a change. I then decided later before the book was actually printed to donate a hundred percent of the proceeds. When that first book came out and you had it in your hand and all the naysayers who said, Nope, I don't believe in this. How good was it to right. go? Right. I know, you know, it is, that is, I, I hate to say that, but you're a hundred percent right. But there's a saying, there's a quote, I think it's Frank Ocean and it says work hard in silence. Let success be your noise. And it's one of my favorite quotes because I just said, okay. And I just kept kind of trudging along and quietly I went from the sloppy copy, let's call it, to the illustrator's instructions, to the rough drafts of the illustrators, and we were making some corrections. And when I had the physical hard copy in my hands, there was no bigger rush than feeling, you know, seeing your name on a book, but then also knowing that anything's possible and you could never listen to those voices. You shouldn't listen to those voices because it's up to you. There's, they couldn't, who are they to stop me? I, it's really, it was really up to me. Award-winning children's book author Stephanie Sorkin joins us beyond the mic. Your next book, Chocolate Shoes with Licorice Laces, benefits Souls for Souls, an organization that gives new and gently used shoes domestically and abroad. How did this concept come to you? No, it was just a whimsical idea. I do love chocolate, and I've always thought of, I have a few other stories written that haven't been published yet about candy, because I just feel like it's a really fun thing that kids love and to incorporate that a parent could make a mistake. Um, the book starts out by saying, help, I don't know what to do. My mom put me in chocolate shoes. So to think that a mom could make such a silly mistake, you know, and then the book is in the most simplistic way. The book is about problem solving. So here you have a child with these chocolate shoes and he does wind up eating them. But he solves the problem at the end and says, you know, there's a little speech bubble that says, thanks, mom. We all have frenemies. Who was that frenemy in your past that you mm -hmm. subconsciously brought out in frenemy Jane? You know, I do. There was a frenemy and I don't even know if I should say this, but unfortunately, I found out that she's not alive anymore. So I don't know what that means. Wow. Emotions yeah. there. It was. And, I, you know, when I heard it. She was so, I, but she was a friend of me, but she was also a very scary person. She was, she was scary. So I, when I've done book events all over my area and I, I grew up about it 45 minutes from here. So I would a drop, a, you know, sometimes I would do things a festival and there were like 5,000 people there, you know, and there were not necessarily to come for me, but I was selling books and I've done a chocolate show twice a year where all, you know, maybe 10,000 people attend and sometimes they buy chocolate shoes. And I always felt like, what if she shows up? You know, like I, here I am at this age thinking I'm not over it because she was, it was like the scab would be ripped off. She would be nice sometimes. And then kind of, it depended who she was in front of, you know, she would act differently. And then other times she was downright mean. So when I heard that she died, yeah, that was, but I, again, I still feel terrible for her family. But when I heard, I was like, Ooh, what a weird feeling to know. You know, it was a very unsettling feeling to hear that. Your latest book is, am I a unicorn? It's a heartfelt story about who we all are inside. Who are you writing this story for? 
because there's a pattern in your books where you're either getting an emotion out or teaching a lesson. Well, something I just want to mention quickly is um, with writing, what's so great is it's to some degree, even in children's picture books, it's subjective. So I wrote this book about inclusion and accepting yourself, accepting others. When I first started writing it, I really was saying, oh, the unicorn's going to show everybody that they should be accepted and all, you know, I had all these different emotions I was going through. But then once I was finished, I realized that the unicorn, it was more about self-love and accepting yourself because the unicorn goes through the series of emotions and tries to prove that they're a unicorn. But then at the end, they're almost like, okay, sorry, if you don't, you know, this is who I am. I know who I am in, in the inside. At the end, another character does validate that. But I don't even know that the unicorn needed validation. I think the unicorn was very content at that point. But when you're asking who's this written for, and again, just like I said, it's subjective. This could be for a child who, it could be a child transitioning. I had a, a father reach out to me who has an older teen who is transgender who, who happened to say to me, you know, this book shows that you don't need all your working parts to be who you are, it's who you feel on the inside. There are other ways we, I was discussing it with someone recently that it could be about a child who might not have all their limbs or might have some kind of differently abled body that could say, wow, you know what? A unicorn doesn't need their horn and a unicorn is known for not, really that's what they're known as having. So if a unicorn's not known, the, the I guess it would be a metaphor, you know, that you could look at, well, the unicorn knows who they are, and that's their most distinguishing characteristic. So we all could know who we are on the inside. It could be also for a child that um, I could even go back to food allergies with it. It's like I know who I am, and I know that I'm this. You know, I'm great at all these things. Just don't limit me by by looking at me and saying, "Well, you can't eat this." You know, it could be really with anything, any different kind of ability that you have. And sometimes it's something psychological situation that some kids or some kids have, they can't keep up with the schoolwork. And they might say, but inside, I, I know what I'm thinking, but maybe sometimes they can't communicate exactly what they're thinking. Author Stephanie Sorkin joins us beyond the mic. Now there are recipes from some tasty, unique cupcakes at the back of the book. Why was blending a children's story and food necessary for you? Right. Well, with all of my books, I like to add a recipe because I think that I mentioned it before, I think cooking for me at least was always therapeutic. It's relaxing and you see that what went on with the pandemic, how many loaves of banana bread did you make? How many recipes did you try? So I think that it's fun for a parent to get more than just a story. So at the end of the book, it's kind of a nice surprise to have a recipe and to also, I like to, um, in some of my books I have discussion questions. So that opens up the floor to talk about things that maybe wouldn't have normally been brought up. But yes, I love cooking. I love baking. And as a food allergy mom, someone who has been baking since the minute I found out that my daughter had an allergy, I had to readjust. I mean, the first thing I thought of when she was diagnosed was we'll never have that experience of licking the spoon like I had with my mom and my grandmother and both my grandmoms. But then I quickly realized just because she's allergic to things, we just made substitutions. And of course she could lick the spoon. And of course um, it was even better because she wouldn't get salmonella because we didn't use eggs in any of our recipes. Or making a substitution to add in a can of soda. 
Right. Yeah. Wow, you did research. What you <laughs> you came very well prepared. <laughs> I take that as a compliment. <laughs> How has writing these books and now reading them to classes virtually helped feed your own soul? Um, it is fulfilling. It's fulfilling, just like we mentioned before, to see your name on a book. That's an ego part of it. But you leave your ego at the door in this. It's it's really about it it absolutely feeds your soul to see children when it's a lot different than when I used to walk in the classroom. I have to admit that because in the classroom, you could see that little spark in somebody's eye and you see the child that is so excited and they're practically sitting on their hands because they want to ask you a question. But um, while you're reading and they know they're not supposed to interrupt, but online, the good part of it online is that I could reach even more students. So on World Read Aloud Day, which is February 3rd, I'll be reading literally from nine o'clock in the morning until the schools close at probably three. So I'm going to, I'll be doing Rockville Center I'll, in Queens and Florida. And, and it's like, I could never have physically been in all of these places in the same day, but because of technology, now I can. And I used to use Skype. That was my way to get into the classroom. And it's like, I hate to say it, but going forward, you know, even after the pandemic, I'll be using Zoom and Google Classroom. This is easier. Now, do you have any tips for the authors from the experiences you've had? Do not listen to the naysayers because if you think that you have a great idea, it probably is a great idea. So um, also to be very patient because not, Rome wasn't built in a day and a book wasn't built in a day. So I, when I go to schools, I have something right here. I don't know if it'll show up well on the screen, but this is the first book that I wrote but you could definitely tell my age based on the condition of the paper. I'm not saying um, a thing. No, 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 no. Because it's actually, <laughs> don't go. So it's um, basically disintegrating in my hands. So the point is you go from this and then in the middle, I went from a pen and paper on real paper. Then I typed to put it on the computer and then it went to a publisher. But my point is that you start somewhere and it does take a long time. Your first book could take, if you do a high quality book where you're not rushing it, it could take anywhere from a minimum of a year and up. It could take two years. You know, sometimes there are a lot of revisions and there are edits that are so minor, but you have to just keep reading it and rereading it. So my advice again, patience, don't listen to the voices from the outside. And also don't be your own worst critic because sometimes that's hard too where it's like I can't do this I stood myself in Barnes and Noble years ago and I, I remember looking around the store saying where would I fit in you know there are thousands maybe hundreds of thousands of books in that store and I just remember feeling I was questioning myself and then I started to say but I know that people would love this book and this was Nutley and Nutley was not the first book that I wrote but it was the first book that I published. So I had other stories, but I brought Nutley to life first. Stephanie Sorkin is the author of Am I a Unicorn? And she joined us beyond the mic. What's the most important thing you can tell a child? That they could do anything. I really think, you know, when I think of teachers when I was little and parents and adults in my life, and there's so much, especially now with social media, 
I didn't have that problem again because of my age. I had um, I was using stone and a piece of wood to write, so <laughs> I didn't have social media. So I didn't have those other outside forces saying you're not good enough, you're not you know maybe pretty enough or whatever the things that the kids now see when they the minute they turn on their phone. So. I just think to know for a child to know that they're great, that they could do anything, I believe so strongly in, you know, the mentality of the growth mindset. And that's something that teachers talk a lot about now. And with the growth mindset, it's not even based on your skills. It's on making the most of what you have and all of those qualities and all of maybe you're not as, let's say, a as good of a writer as the guy next to you, but if you keep practicing and practicing and revising and just sticking with it, you can become the best. You can, and you don't, and again, you don't always have to be the best to be successful. You also have to have a very great, I would always tell the kids, and I do tell them this when I go to schools, is just keep working hard because nothing comes easy. It doesn't, it just doesn't. How has your heart been filled every time you talk to a student who's had an allergy or a parent who knows they're not alone anymore. Right. It's, it's filled to the point where it could burst. You know, it's, it feels sometimes like I can't even fit anymore in there, but there's always room and it's like the ever expanding. Um, it's, it's like a bucket that you could just keep filling, but it's filled because I had, I was once at a rhyming seminar. I was teaching kids about rhyming and a parent came up to me and she said, when I heard you were going to be here, we changed all of our plans because the only thing I know, I was, I was blown away, but she said the only thing that got her daughter to walk through the door in kindergarten was Nutley and that they bought copies and gave it to the librarian and gave it to the teacher and the daughter just connected with it. Her daughter just connected with it. So when I hear stories like that and people often write me emails and they'll just say, I just want to let you know that this is happening. I had a boy... I guess it was, well, it was before the pandemic and he had to do a story on his favorite book and he wound up, he did it on Nutley and the mom reached out to me. I don't remember what state it was, but it was definitely, I think it was in the Midwest and she reached out to me and showed me the beautiful trifold board that he made and how important this book was to him. And I wound up sending whole class books because I just was so moved. I just thought it was adorable that that, that was his choice. If you could change one thing from your life, what would it be? Um, maybe to not be so self-conscious. There were times as a younger person where I think I did care what people thought or what people said, and I was self-conscious. And when I look back, it's like, you know, looking back as a grown-up to then, um, I would just say, you know, none of those things matter. But I was a pretty confident child, but I do remember caring what people said. You know, I definitely internalized things when people said things that maybe someone hurt my feelings, I wouldn't say something back. And then you go home and you think of a hundred things that you wanted to say, but you never said. So I would definitely be, I think I would have been more assertive to stick up for myself more. Time's running out. So it's time for the Rocky Nate, eight random questions. Answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. There's no pressure. (laughs) Favorite place to visit on vacation and the thing that you want to do on vacation? Okay, I would say L.A. And I love to go to, you know, all the shopping and the museums. that We went to the last time we were in L.A., we went to the Motown Museum. And I just, I can't wait to go back. One thing you're missing from your time in quarantine? 
Broadway shows. Now, if you could have anyone famous voice each of your main characters, who would they be? Uh, Nutley, I would say maybe um, Kevin Hart. I could picture him being whimsical. Am I a unicorn? Maybe I'll say RuPaul. Chocolate shoes. I'm thinking maybe Chris Rock, because I feel like his voice would go with the character. What is your and your children's favorite American Girl doll? Oh, you hit the, and we don't have time. We have 21 American Girl dolls. (laughs) 21. I liked Samantha because I liked the backstory to it. I love reading the historical fiction that goes with the American Girl dolls. And I am going to say... Let me see. There was actually, I'm going to say this one. There's an American doll named Leah, and that happens to also be my daughter's name. So I will pick that one. When was the last time you went to go see the New York Knicks? Oh, you want to, oh, this is a great story. I went to see the New York Knicks February 29th, right before the pandemic. And I remember we took the train. We actually took the Manhasset train, and I held the rail, and I physically looked at my hands and I said, why are you touching the railing when the, I was seeing the pandemic all over the news and we were in the garden, we went out to dinner and everything was kind of status quo. I was a little concerned, washing my hands a lot, but we went, it was February 29th. Who motivates you? I'm motivated a lot by myself, but I think back to my grandmother who was a, she was one of nine children And she really had everything happen that wasn't good, you know, when as far as growing up, being through the Great Depression, and um, she actually might have been one of eight children, I might change that, but I have to go through it because there was only one boy and the rest were sisters. She was unbelievable because she went to work before women worked. So she was so determined to get out of that situation where you're in this large family and her mother died very young. She was a caretaker to some of her younger siblings. And um, so she went to work when, you know, when she was in her, let's say in her twenties, when women were just in the kitchen and at home and she did it all. And her kitchen was spotless. Her food was great. Her, you know, she made it look easy. What's your favorite guilty pleasure? Um, Reality TV. I could tell you're a Bravo woman. Oh God, <laughs> I'm a Bravo girl, but you'd be surprised that there are some TLC shows like 1000 pound sisters. It's a great show. What's the one type of chocolate that makes you happy? Hmm. Um, I got this beautiful box of, um, the brand was La chocolate L E chocolate. But I would say really, if, if I just had to generalize, if I went to CBS right now, I would get a Twix. She's a fan of reality TV, loves her Samantha American Girl doll, and wants Kevin Hart to voice one of her characters. We thank Stephanie Sorkin of Am I a Unicorn for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic.